Thank you, praise Ben. Very nice. Well, good morning, everyone. It is an honor and it is great to be back here at the Eureka Presbyterian Church right here in, right here in Eureka on this beautiful day in September. Well, let's uh, start off today with a question. Can anyone guess the most popular boy name at the moment? In 2015. Any guesses? Nobody is going to guess. Michael? No, it's not Michael. Jacob? All right. Not Jacob, now James. Well, let me tell you who it is. According to the web survey conducted by the babycenter.com, the most popular name given to boys in America in 2015 is the name Leanne. Followed by Noah, and Ethan, and Mason. Now let's go back 65 years ago. In 1950, the most common name at that point was James. The Social Security Administration lists on its website that from 1950 to 1959, over a 10-year time span, 843 thousand boys in America were given the name James, more than any other name at the time. Now let's go back another 1900 years in the land of Israel. James must have been a pretty popular name as well. No web surveys or records from the Social Security Administration, obviously, but we do have a very reliable source in the books of the Bible. And a quick search reveals that James is mentioned 41 times. The name of choice in the the days that Jesus dwelt on the earth. James is only mentioned in the New Testament. But that is not surprising. Because James is the Greek version of the name Jacob. And since the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and the New Testament in Greek, it makes sense that we only find James in the New Testament. Now, the Gospels describe four people named James. In Luke 6.15, we read about James, the father of Judas, and also two apostles called James. One, the son of Alphaeus, and we don't read much about him, and the other apostle, is the brother of John the Baptist. Together with Peter and John, this particular James was very close to Jesus. He was in the inner circle of Jesus. And he is the one who witnessed the transfiguration on Mount Tabor. But he was also the first apostle to be martyred by King Herod, as described in Acts 12. And then there is a fourth James, the main character in today's message. The half-brother of Jesus and the brother of Jude. But he was not a follower of Jesus during his three and a half years of ministry. In John 7, 5, we read, even his own brothers did not believe in him. So here we have the brother of Jesus, and he did not believe that his sibling was the Messiah. Jesus said in Luke 4, 24, 
No prophet is accepted in his own hometown. So clearly, James was not a disciple until after his brother died on the cross, was buried, and rose on the, on the third day. James witnessed the resurrected body. And it is at this point that he became a believer. And an apostle of Jesus Christ in the likes of Paul. And the de facto leader of the Jerusalem church. The apostle Paul called James one of the pillars of the early church. Now after the Holy Ghost came to dwell unto the Gentiles, as we talked about last time, as described in Acts 10, 44-48, James gave a speech at the Jerusalem Council, affirming to take the gospel of Jesus to non-Jewish believers. So James's letter, which we're going to be talking about today, must have been written before all this took place. Because his letter only addresses the 12 tribes of the Jewish Christian believers. Many scholars assert that James's letter was the first New Testament book written. Now, why is the letter of James so important? The letter of James was written to Jewish believers that were scattered throughout the Middle East. It addresses folks that are in great need of help. It is full of wisdom, and it has a flavor of some of the old books in the Old Testament, like the book of Proverbs. But it is written in a style that connected with the people at that time. And it still resonates with us today, as this book is often quoted. Because many of the issues that we face in 2015, at the core, are no different than they were when James wrote his letter. Now let me give an example. Once every four weeks at Sun Valley, we hold a company-wide meeting. And we do those in Arcata and in Oxnard and in St. Catharines, Canada. After a company-provided meal, the entire team comes together and we share production numbers. And we report on, on safety and productivity And we introduce our team and the team member of the period. Now these meetings conclude with a closing thought. Usually we quote from a president or a coach, particularly this time of year when football season starts. Or an athlete. Or words from scripture. Heck, sometimes we even sing like the national anthem. But no matter what happens, we always start by collectively pronouncing one of Sun Valley's ten guiding principles. Now, these principles include treating neighbors the way you want to be treated, to foster a team culture, to always remain humble and gracious, to inspire others and always keep learning, or to be the best that you can be. Now, the farm meeting also concludes includes a a short message to reflect of any one of those guiding principles. And a few years ago, while preparing a narrative for guiding principle number four, treating treating team members with respect, I came across this letter from James, and in particular, the passage 
relating to the power of the tongue. This is very relevant in a place where hundreds of people work together every day. People from different cultures, with different interests, with different backgrounds. And walking around the farm daily, you can hear some pretty interesting words rolling off the tongues of some folks. Now now let's take a moment and read the third chapter of the letter of James, verses 1 through 12. And they can be found in your pew Bible on page 1055. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. But if we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also is the tongue, is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is in itself set on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creatures, can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. But no one can tame the tongue a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless the Lord and Father, and with it, we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not be so. Does a spring poured forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine, figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. Ladies and gentlemen, this scripture reading makes one sit up and pay attention. James describes how the little things, like the bits in the mouth of a horse or the rudder on a ship, or something as small as the tongue can make a huge difference, good or bad. And the real danger lies in being two-sided, as he vividly warns against duplicity. The analogy of the strength of the tongue as a fire, and the ability to set off huge forest fires, is very powerful. Now, speaking of wildfires, our hearts go out to the folks in Middletown, where a huge fire destroyed over over 1,000 homes just two weeks ago. 
According to the National Fire Information Center, as of yesterday, September 26, more than 9 million acres have burned so far this year in the United States. And 2015 is on track to become a record-breaking year. Now, how did this all start? Most of these fires started as single sparks from thunderstorms. Just like words rolling off our tongues have the ability to set off firestorms of reciprocating words causing wildfires in our own lives. Now, words from our tongues come in many forms, but foul language aggravates the situation. And with that guiding principle narrative to the forum meeting a few years ago, I tried to emphasize to refrain from using profanities wherever we can. But that's not easy in today's world. Undoubtedly, profane language has been around for ages. But in today's society, it seems like foul language is everywhere. The use is so abundant and pervasive that our hearts are hardened and our ears are numbed by its frequent use. Now, movies are one place where the use of profanity has become commonplace. I found a listing where movies are actually ranked by the use of the F-word. And here are a few examples. Lone Survivor, 161 times. Born on the 4th of July, 196 times. Then the movie Casino, 422 times. And then one of the latest, latest movies, The Wolf of Wall Street, 569 times. Now, also standards to allow F-words in PG-13 rated movies have been loosened as well. And then there is the movie Sideways, where one line in the movie, one adjective, has affected demand for Merlot ever since. But this is just an example how words can affect things and how common use of profanity creeps into our culture. As James said, it's like a deadly poison. And in his letter, James asks, can from the same mouth come a blessing and a curse? Or can a spring give fresh and brackish water? It is like a few sick plants that can spoil all the things for all the healthy plants and good-looking plants around it. And let me illustrate this with an example. At our farm in Oxnard, we grow a crop called Matsumoto Aster. It grows very well in the sandy soils of the Oxnard Plain. A few years ago, heading into Valentine's Day, which is one of our biggest holidays of the year, we had a great crop of Matsumoto. But we noticed a few plants at the end of the rows that didn't look too happy. And then we learned that asters can be infected by a disease called tomato-spotted wilt virus. Well, this name says it all. Once infected by this virus, a plant wilts and dies. Well, then by mid-January, 
just two weeks before Valentine's shipping, a hot Santa Ana wind gusting up to 50 miles an hour was coming from the east. And with it, a wave of thrip. Now you may say, what are thrip? Now thrip are these small little insects that drill little holes in every plant. And when they come, the, every plant that they come across, and every hole that they drill, it spreads this lethal, lethal virus like a wildfire through the entire crop. In a matter of days, this beautiful crop of Matsumoto esters wilted away and died. It started with a, few hand, with a handful of plants, just like a few nasty words coming from our tongue. But it took out the entire crop, like words causing a stir with dire consequences. Now, since this incident, we now inject garlic extract in the irrigation water every time we irrigate the crop. And the plants are breathing this garlic smell. And the thrip are no longer eager to settle on our crop. They may go to the crop of the neighbor, but they don't go on our crop. So this garlic example is like resisting certain words taking control of our lives, preventing them from becoming part of our vocabulary. Now the past example is what could happen when words are used that hurt or pierce. But the opposite is true as well. We have a choice which words we use. Offensive words can create nasty reactions. But words of love and grace do wonders in terms of healing and helping others. Now for a moment, let's go to the well of wisdom of Solomon in Proverbs. Proverbs 10, 19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. Or Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Or Proverbs 6, 24. Gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. Or Proverbs 17, 27. The one who has knowledge uses words with restraint, and whoever has understanding is even-tempered. So in other words, little things we say or do can have huge consequences and turn something small into something being good or bad. Now, see these little seeds? Look how innocent these little seeds look, and they just float around the air in Humboldt County everywhere right now. Let me catch them before they fall on the ground. So, we'll clean it up later. <clears throat> these seeds are blowing all over Humboldt County right now. And as the winter rains start, they settle on the ground and they'll start growing. And they turn into these nasty thistles that are very painful to touch. And they will turn into these weeds by next summer. And then we have this uh, lily bulb. See how small that is? 
And this lily bulb is actually a white lily. And after about 12 weeks in beautiful soil, it grows into this beautiful, nice, white lily. With huge white flowers. In other words, we have a choice to make. Do we plant and grow weeds like this thistle? By spitting poison? Hurting others? By the things we say or do? And sometimes it may even be as innocent as spreading gossip. But unknowingly, it can hurt like thorns of this thistle. Or do we plant lily bulbs and cultivate them and foster them by helping others? Or by being silent at the right moment and speak with words of grace and of love and of compassion? Sweet to the soul, healing to the bones. Nobody is perfect. We can all do better. But Jesus gives us profound instruction when it comes to speaking about his love and his compassion. He instructs us not to be bashful, to proclaim his word and share the good news of Jesus. Well, there go the seats. Better cover this thing up. He instructs us not to be bashful, to proclaim his word and share the good news of Jesus Christ, our rock and our redeemer. In Mark 8.38, Jesus said, Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when it comes to when he comes into the glory of, the, of his Father with his holy angels. Now, just before we started, we sang, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. What a magnificent thing to look forward to. The kingdom of God. Jesus loves us. And his arms are opened to take us in. Ask, and it will be given unto you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. He said, don't be ashamed to talk about me. But it seems like in today's world, talking about Jesus in public can be more problematic than spouting off foul language. It seems like a world upside down, doesn't it? But don't be misguided by the world, by political correctness. Don't be ashamed to use the word of God and spread, spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Let our springs produce fresh water and not brackish. Let the fields be filled with lilies and not weeds. Let the words from our mouths be pleasing to God. Let our faith in the Lord be steadfast. Let our hearts be softened. Let our souls be cleansed and repent from our sins. Let the words of Jesus Christ ring for, forward into eternity. And with great joy, we can look forward to the glorious kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.